You're listening to a podcast from Hicksville Cornerstone Church. For more information about the church, visit us at hickscc.org. That's H-I-X-C-C.org. Thanks for listening. Um, so some of you might be wondering if you're following along with our sermon uh, series. Uh, last week we finished Matthew 2 which means that this week I should be back in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And so as much as I was tempted to do that, to jump right back into the Sermon on the Mount the day after Christmas, I felt that would do injustice to Christmas. Here's why. We in America, and I think some of the issue is is just with our traditions and with the evangelical church, which we're a part of, is that we, like most Americans, we see a holiday, we celebrate it, and then we immediately move on to the next thing, right? Like most people in America this morning are spending their gift cards that they received yesterday um, in, in whatever gift, right? They're at the mall, they're at chill, they're wherever, right? I always say Chili's because that's like my go-to gift card, right? So like they have their thing that they're doing, um, but we need to learn I think, as Americans, again, to sit and rest within celebrations and not just check it off and be like, that was a great New Year's or that was a great St. Patty's, right? Um, And many Christian traditions already do this. And we do this for Easter, or at least we should, right? We have Resurrection Sunday, and then we have Ascension Sunday, 40 days later, right? And it's supposed to be this time of celebration in between those two days. And, And in many traditions in the Christian church, it is. And likewise with Christmas, and unfortunately for us in America, we celebrate Christmas, but many of us don't celebrate Epiphany, when the, which is when the wise men come later, right? And in many cultures, they celebrate Christmas for Christmas, my Puerto Rican friends, right? And then they get their gifts on Epiphany, and that's when they do their gift-giving exchange, and they get to rest and celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, in between. So I wanted us to do that today. I didn't want us to breeze past Christmas, and, and suddenly we're past it. So instead of doing a sermon um, on an expository sermon on, uh, on a section of Matthew, I wanted us to sit at what it means to receive a gift, what it means to receive the gift. Because over and over again in scripture, this gift language is used, whether it's in early in Genesis or all the way on through Revelation. This idea of gift, this idea of blessing is always present between God and his people. And so I wanted us to sit there today. So we're going to look at what it means to receive a gift today in scripture. So bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for him to illuminate the words of God. Father, as we come to you this morning, may we be reminded and pointed to the gift of all gifts, the best gift we've ever received, and the best gift that we continue to receive daily. And may we not just check mark it and move past it, but may we marvel at this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, on the grace of salvation, the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gift we are to you. In your son's name I pray, amen. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, tells a very humbling story that I wanna start out with today. And it's about an honest gift. Maybe you've received an honest gift, right? You're at a party. 
it's giving time. Let's say it's with friends. That makes it a little bit easier to receive this honest gift because it's with family. It hurts a little bit more, right? And you go to open that first book, that first question. Well, it's always a book for me, right? That first present, and it's a book on dieting. It's an honest gift. And then your other friend gives you a, another book, and you open that one, and it's on how to be less obnoxious. <laughs> and in that moment, if you realize that if you say thank you, you are therefore admitting to your friends around you that you are indeed fat and arrogant. <laughs> in other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so is to admit that you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. Perhaps on some occasion a friend has discovered that you were in financial need and they gave you a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. And if that has ever happened to you, you, you know that in that moment there is this swallowing of pride that takes place that is so uncomfortable to our human hearts. Hear this. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that Jesus Christ requires us to do. The gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we're so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. It is a gift offered out of love with, with no return receipt. And you can never repay him for what he's done. And that's really hard for us, right? Because it's in stark contrast to a gift-giving culture that you and me rest in, right? A gift-giving culture that constantly assumes a you owe me clause, right? And it's a culture of you owe me. You ever show up at an event, right? This actually happened to me early on in my work career when I was a teacher. Um, and someone who you've been friends with for years, who has never given you a gift, comes to that Christmas party and they suddenly have a gift for you. And you have nothing. And that moment rises up in your heart. And I lied, I admit it, I straight up. And I, I admit it to him later, right? I said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I forgot your gift at home in the midst of the hustle and bustle of the holidays. I'll get it to you later. Right? That I owe you clause is already in there. Or even worse, even worse, this is awful, okay? Maybe you've had this happen to you too. You actually do get a gift for that friend. It's a wonderful $10 gift card to Starbucks, which will buy you half a coffee. And you're like, this is awesome, we're gonna exchange gifts. And they give you like a gift that's like a $100 gadget. Ooh. And there's this sense of tit for tat that suddenly went unfulfilled, right? That swelling in your heart that, oh, we don't like, we don't like that. You see, we live in a you owe me society. 
When someone does something nice for us, we feel the inexplicable urge to do something equal for them in return. Maybe you've been over to a friend's house for dinner, and what happens as you exit? We'll have you over next time. It's already assumed. It's there. Our heart feels like when a gift is given, we should have the chance to reciprocate. In one episode of the popular TV show, The Office, um, Dwight and Andy get into a favor battle. Okay? Dwight comes in with bagels all the way from New York City and starts handing them out to everyone in the office. And after everyone takes one, he slowly turns around, stares at them and goes, you owe me, and then leaves. Because he is planning to cash in all his favors at a later date for something that he needs. Well, Andy does not tolerate this, right? If someone does something nice for Andy, Andy immediately must do something nice in return. So they get into this favor battle where they try to one-up each other over and over throughout the course of the episode, and it ruins Dwight's plan of having people owe him. You see, we're prone in our humanity to bring that same tit-for-tat idea into two areas that it need not and cannot be. The first one is not one we're going to address in our sermon today, but it's one that we'll address in the future, is our horizontal interpersonal relationships within the church. Many times we bring that to the table when we interact with one another. If someone in the church does something nice for you, you feel the inexplicable need to now I must do something nice for them instead of just receive grace. It's hard for us, and we need to learn that. The second one, of course, is our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. So today we're going to look at some of the gifts that God has given us, and then I want us to filter it through the two approaches that we just talked about, the culture of you owe me and the honest gift. So the first thing I want to hit is the first gift, which is the free gift. The free gift. Now, I know that that should sound redundant, right? That free gift should sound redundant, unless you're like me and you occasionally buy gifts for yourself because I deserve it, right? And then I spent some money on gifts. But most gifts that we receive, someone doesn't give to us and then they hand into the receipt for you to reimburse them. It is, by its very nature, a free gift. Most gift comes to us at no cost. But to have our salvation come as a gift is a hard gift to receive, either because it humbles us or we immediately, like Andy in the office, find some way to pay back God for his kindness. Yet the Bible makes this abundantly clear that that is not the case. See Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a what? Gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now justification within this phrase is a big theological term that is used throughout really a lot of literature and it's a legal term. What it does is it lets us know that a debt has been paid and we are justified before a good judge. But that assumes something. That assumes something. Humanity is not just ambivalent towards God. He's just not over there. We're not ambivalent to him as much as I think we want to believe. But we live in such a way to try to build our own kingdoms and we actually assault the kingdom of heaven when we do so. And by doing so, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have opposed the true king of heaven 
And we know from Romans 6.23 that for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift, there it is again, of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So look at these two passages together. We have rebelled and deserve eternal separation from Yahweh God, which happens at death if we do not follow Jesus. And God has every right to carry out this punishment. However, God in his mercy offers us a free gift. There are two words in Greek that gift translates into, both of which emphasize the free nature of the word. One also translates as blessing from time to time. And one word also translates sometimes as gracious. But it, no, either way, it's nothing we deserve. It's nothing we deserve. Now, how do we do this in light of the honest gift, right, in this idea? Now, this can be a really hard pill to swallow. We like to believe that, that we can save ourselves, that we don't need a rescuer. And every man-made religion uses this. Do these 10 things, and you'll be right with God. Go on this spiritual journey, and you, God, will be okay. Make this sacrifice, and you will be justified before God. And if we're honest, I think you and me would prefer that. In our tit-for-tat hearts, we like that idea. We crave, in this case, two things. We crave independence, and we crave self-worth. Because we want to experience the feeling of worth. It's one of those main things that drives us in life. And the feeling of worth comes from achieving a moral or ethical standard that we have set. We do this all the time in our culture, every day. My high schoolers, when I was in um, youth ministry, used to do this all the time. They would seek out their self-worth and everything that wasn't God. They're all, there's good things, right? They would battle hard to get good grades. Why? So they'd have the chance to get that letter that says they are worthy to go to college. Some of them would sacrifice their bodies on the field of athletics. Why? To be told that they are worthy of such success. Some of them would date that one person that we would all roll our eyes at, right? And even they would several months after they stopped dating them. But why would they have dated them in the first place? Because they wanted to feel the worth. I'm worthy of love. You see, but the gift of God in the gospel deals with the honest truth that you and I have nothing to bring to the table for our own righteousness. Here, Isaiah 64, 6, and all our righteous deeds, not our unrighteous deeds, our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. The gift of salvation is an honest gift. There is nothing you can do or you're on your own to save yourself. You need to be found not guilty, justified by another means. Pastor David Pratt tells this story of a time he was sitting outside of a Buddhist temple in Asia. He's sitting there, he's watching the people give sacrifices to their uh, specific gods, and he's sitting with two guys from two different countries of two different faiths. And they're talking about religion. And one of them goes, you know, I think all religions are pretty much the same. We all desire to seek after God. And during the course of the conversation, finally David spoke up and he said, what you guys are kind of saying is like, it's this picture that 
we're at the bottom of this mountain. And God is at the top of this mountain. And you might take one path to get there, and I might take one path to get there, but we all end up getting there by our own ways. And they smiled at him and said, exactly, exactly. And Pastor David responded with, well, what if I had told you that the God on the top of the mountain had come to the bottom where we are so that he could be with us? And they thought that'd be great. You see, this is the difference. What we find in the Bible is a story of a God who has not left us to find our way to him, but he has come down to us. And he made the way to himself through Jesus. That's the beauty of the free gift of the gospel. God, in his grace, knows that our ability to find him in the midst of our desires that we carry in this world and the sin that burdens us is impossible. So he offers us salvation through his son. And when we accept the free gift, we are saying, I could have never bought this on my own. That's what we say when we accept Jesus. We acknowledge our need for a savior and we repent and turn to him. But how do we also tend to respond in a culture for tit to tat where free gift giving and no strings attached sometimes is just not assumed? So how do we view it in light of the you owe me gift? Pastor Dane Ortland says this. It was so profound. The natural flow of the fallen human heart is towards reciprocity. Tit for tat payback, balancing the scales. We are far more lawish than we realize. There is something healthy and glorious buried in that impulse, of course. God, in, made in God's own image, we desire order and fairness rather than chaos. But that impulse, like every part of us, has been diseased by the ruinous fall into sin. Our capacity to apprehend the heart of God has gone into meltdown, and we are left with an impoverished view of how God, he feels about his people, an impoverished view that once more, due to sin, thinks it is in fact an expensive, expansive and accurate view of who he is, like a grandson shown a crisp $100 bill concludes that his father must be very wealthy, not knowing the billions in real estate of which the gift has just been the tiniest reflection of. We see God's gift and we only see it such a small piece. You see, our heart's response to the free gift of salvation can be debilitating. What do I mean by that? We suddenly think we need to pay off God for what he has done. We think God works in a tit-for-tat manner, that if he gives us something, we must give him something in return for him to still love us. Terrifyingly, we treat God like Dwight from the office. We think that the God that when God saves us, he now follows us around forever, over and over again in life saying, you owe me. That is not our God. Pastor Derwin Gray this week talked about the Santa Claus theology of God. It was all over uh, the social media. So if you heard this, I apologize. But this is the Santa Claus theology of God. Help me out with this, okay? You probably know it. You better not shout. You better not cry. He's going to find out. I'm telling you why. When they lead, you don't got a problem, right? It's, it's got to be me. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. 
So be good for goodness sake. Some of you think God is a lot like Santa Claus. You better be good because you owe God. This is not the salvation gift that is offered to us in the Bible. Parents, you you get this, right? Imagine if you woke up on Christmas morning, this gift that you've been pining and so excited to give your children, you give to them, they see the joy as they open up the gift, and what they immediately do is they run to their piggy bank. And they break open their piggy bank and they come to you and say, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll give you all this so I can help pay for it. But that's how we treat salvation. We think that this gift, right? Well, now I, now I must immediately pay back my good father in heaven. Or he won't be happy with me. How painful a father's heart would be if that was the case. I'm not saying we don't incline our hearts towards God after conversion. Nor am I saying that our faith is detached from works, for we know our faith is dead without works. I say this all the time, and I'm going to continue to say it until 40 years from now when you're like, well, what defines Pastor AJ's ministry? This phrase over and over again. There's a difference between a child who mows the grass for his father, hoping that his father will say, I love you, and the child that mows the grass for his dad because he already knows his father does. There's a huge heart difference there. What drives your motivation to please God? Is it thankfulness for the gift or are you trying to pay it off? One leads to a life of misery and one leads to a life of peace. Hear the heart of the giver of gifts, right? Many of you have already experienced this. When Christmas morning arrived yesterday, many of you were so far more excited to give gifts than you were to receive it, right? If I received nothing on Christmas, but I just got to watch the joy on the faces of my children, I guess I'm very much like all of you. That would be enough. That's all I need. And this is the heart of our Heavenly Father. This is his deep affection for you. Your joy is sufficient. Matthew 7, 11. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He is a giver of gifts. Yahweh God desires to bless you with good things. And the ultimate good thing, the ultimate one, is himself. It's the best thing in the, in the cosmos. It's him. And he freely offers that gift to you. He sent Jesus, the free gift to salvation. And then, and we miss this a lot when we're not charismatic. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to link us with his very heart. It's beautiful. And that's, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit that I want to touch on. And Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive what? The gift, there's that word again, of the Holy Spirit. Now when I say Holy Spirit, some of you immediately think like Casper, the friendly ghost. Uh, That's not the Holy Spirit, okay? 
The Holy Spirit is not a force, a power, or a binding energy that's suggested in Eastern thought. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's part of the Trinity. He is teaching in Luke 12, 11 through 12. He's speaking in Acts 13, too. He's interceding in Romans 8, 26. He's grieving in Ephesians 4, 30. He's a teaching, speaking, interceding, grieving person. Distinct from the Father and the Son, yet fully God. The Holy Spirit is eternal God, Hebrews 9, 14. He is everywhere, but that does not mean that the Spirit is everything or in everything. But rather, there is nowhere you can go where the Spirit isn't also present, Psalm 139, 7. Yet the gift of the Holy Spirit does not just mean that he is present with us. The Spirit lives within us if you are in Christ, 1 Corinthians 6.19. He dwells within our hearts, 2 Corinthians 1.22. And like a person, like a person, we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13.14. The gift of the Holy Spirit unites us to the work of Christ and the very heart of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit unites us to the work of Christ and the very heart of God. It is the gift of the Spirit that shapes our character to be more into Christ's image. It's the gift of the Spirit that allows us to repent of sin. It is the gift of the Spirit that renews our minds. It's the gift of the Spirit that stirs our emotions towards things that stir God's emotions. And the gift comes with three blessings that I want to touch on. Here are three gifts of the Holy Spirit. One, we share in Christ's victory. We share Christ's victory. Think about it. Not only are you justified before a holy God by the work of Christ and the gift of salvation, all his victories become ours as we're united to him. The blessing promised to Abraham is now ours, Galatians 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All his victories are ours. Second, the comfort of God. The Holy Spirit is referred to in Scripture as a comforter, a helper, a counselor, and an advocate, depending on your Bible translation. And it's not that the Greek word is unclear here. It's that our English word is too narrow to capture its meaning. It's all those things. Many of you have seen this firsthand in your lives. In the midst of terrible news, in the midst of evil, a peace washes over you. It is the Spirit who grants this. It is the Spirit who brings to mind biblical truths in the midst of worldly sorrows. When Stephen was stoned to death in Acts 7, after proclaiming the gospel to those listening, it was the Spirit of God that comforted him as they ushered him into heaven. God uses the Spirit to comfort his people in a fallen world. Third, and again, I think we miss this if we're not charismatic, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 6, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit to be present with us forever forever it's a sandlot reference that some of you got Christian do you know that there will never again be a time in your life where you will not be bound to the very heart of God Christian do you know there will never be a time in your life where the work of Christ for your justification will be removed from you. Romans eleven twenty nine. 
Christian, did you know that there will never be a day where the comfort of God will not be available to you? Now, some of your actions might stifle the Spirit. However, He is always still present, waiting for us to call to Him in our time of need and in our time of repenting and our time of rejoicing. There is one last gift I want to mention before I close today because it would be foolish for me to miss it, and I want you to to see it. And that is the gift you offer to King Jesus. You see, the church is the gift to King Jesus. The church is the gift to King Jesus. John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. And in John 17, 6, Jesus thanks the Father for the gift of his disciples. This is what it says. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. I mentioned briefly our desire to find worth. And we look for it everywhere. In our professions, in our relationships, in our successes, in our bank accounts, in our sports teams, in our hobbies. You name it, mankind has probably tried to find worth in it. The finish line in our quest for worth ends at the foot of the cross. The finish line in our quest for worth ends at the foot of the cross. No matter what you've done, you are valued by Christ. No matter what you owe, you are valued by Christ. No matter how often sin tempts you, you are valued by Christ. No matter how often we fail, you're still valued by Christ. For your worth is found in seeing yourself the way that Christ sees you as a gift. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. On the 26th day of December, the day after Christmas, I plead for you to begin to see yourself the way that God sees you by receiving the free gift of salvation, by being forever united to God by the Holy Spirit, and by realizing that you are a gift of the Father to Jesus. Bow your heads with me.